Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Illhorn Podcast. My name is Jason, and today I am joined by Mike and Nix. Hello. And been a while since we've had him on the show, uh, Lord Shade Beast himself, Joe Eldridge. How are you? Hey man, so um, last episode, uh, I wanted to get this out of the way real quick. We had the... Uh, the uh, Eddie Van Halen uh, fiasco with the Facebook group. And I wanted to give everyone a quick update that I was successfully banned, uh, which was my goal. And those guys are fucking douchebags. And I'm glad that they got pissed off for a little while. So congratulations, Joe, on getting your point across. I pre I, I had fun doing it. <laughs> hey, I just wanted to sell a few more shirts. And I think the, the, uh, the controversy actually wound up getting that, Group members of that group to buy a few more than they ordinarily would have, so it was cool. Yeah, that's all it's all about, man. Just I understood like their guidelines, like not wanting to like have like a like a, like a yard sale of Van Halen merch, but right. like the way they like spoke to people is like what really got under my skin. It's like why do you got to be such a fucking douchebag for? Like it's not that big a deal. Like these are original designs you know like the profit margin is like pretty much hardly anything it's just a way to like show like respect to an artist that you uh, admired and if they would have done any research they would have seen that the lemmy one and the dio one were in the same style and it was just you know just as much uh an ode to them as it was to evh so just because he died right there that was my opinion i mean if you have a fan group what how much is there to talk about about a band that's been broken up for a while. I mean, sharing fan f- merch and creative stuff like that seems like a perfect use of a group. And it was not a bootleg. Obviously, it wasn't a knockoff of some Van Halen yeah, design. Yeah, it was an original. But anyway. Yeah, the design is, is awesome, man. I love that shirt. It's fucking cool. It fits really good, too. So. Yeah, everybody involved with it wants to do a reprint in yellow, like Eddie's other striped. Oh, guitar. nice! That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I like the red though. It turned out really good. Like I'm, I wore it to stores. People look. That's what it's. That's what it's basically all about. You know. Yeah, we weren't going to do <laughs> so. any more t-shirts until the spring, but Max really nailed it with that one. Just the the zebra stripes and the the Eddie's guitar stripes across the whole design it just it was the right time and, and obviously because it sold out pretty quickly <laughs> yeah did you get a uh, wolfgang uh a copy of the shirt or a shirt <laughs> I, I hey i messaged him on instagram but he didn't answer me i can't imagine why i, I don't imagine he doesn't get like a thousand messages a day from random people so <laughs> yeah just because you're just because your friends on Instagram don't mean your friends are real life. Some people, I think, some people forget that nowadays. It's like, what do you mean you can't take time to answer my, you know, private message? You know, yeah. I, so. I it doesn't stop me from trying though. I like no, in the past sure, couple sure. Of weeks I've messaged Bill Ward, uh, Brad Wilk. From Thank Rage you for listening to the Airhorn Podcast. What's his name? For Jason more of this Momoa. Podcast, <laughs> I just message people. You know, Airhorn Podcast Network. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com/slash/the. What, uh, what did you message Jason Momoa? Subscriptions about? start at a dollar, and each tier gets you greater. Uh, oh, just that he was a metal fan. Patreon what was it? Oh, he posted a picture of the uh, Mr. Bungle record. Until next time, stay heavy. Oh, gotcha. Okay.
So I just messaged him like, hey, I heard you're a metal fan and we're a metal-oriented streetwear brand and record store and um, we'd love to collaborate with you in some way just to see what he'd say. But And, and I honestly think he is cool enough that he might do it. He just hasn't opened the message because he probably gets 50,000 fan messages a, a day, you know? Yeah. He seems like he might be pretty cool in real life, but I'm just not a big fan of his acting so much. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't watch Aquaman movie. I just saw enough in, like, Justice League. I was like, eh. And then, like, in Game of Thrones, he was cool, but he wasn't really in it all that much. So it's hard yeah. to say, like, if he was really that awesome. And then he was, like, terrible as, like, the new Conan, which I, just, like, forget exists sometimes until it comes up on my screen. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot that. I haven't even seen that one. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty bad, dude. <laughs> it's really? Bad. That sucks. It would have been okay if it wasn't trying to be a Conan remake. Like, if it was just something new, I would be like, okay. But trying to put like the Conan the Barbarian name and font and everything about it the same, mm-hmm. except that it wasn't near as cool, you know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Because as Mike can attest, I love the 82 version of Conan. I mean, I can say I can quote it verbatim, but there's not really that much to quote in it. So you know, <laughs> not a lot of dialogue. <laughs> no, no, not, not really. Mostly music. I have the soundtrack on vinyl actually out there in my collection. So yeah, I love, I love that movie, man. It's so fucking cool. awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, that's enough about me. <laughs> Let's get to the topic here. So today in honor of the newest ACDC album, power up, we're doing a, not, not a versus, but a contrast of Bon Scott versus Brian Johnson uh, albums and vocal styles. And what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to have Micah actually host the questions, and I'm going to be speaking up for the Brian Johnson side of the discography. And Joe is going to do the Bon Scott side of the discography. So not really because I'm I'm a fan of both sides pretty equally. So I couldn't really pit it as verses. It's more of it's more of just I will take the side of one and Joe will take the side of the other and explain what we like about it. But there'll be some awesome, obviously there'll be some cross pollination questions in there too. So you know it's not really all about just one or the other for us. This this one will be easier than the Aussie versus Dio because. I am definitely a bigger fan of the Bond era albums yes. than the Brian era albums. So at least I have a bias that I can speak to this time. Okay. Yeah, exploit that bias, dude. Let's go. Uh. <laughs> 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 we'll still be friends afterwards, I promise. So okay. this is this is way more important than who's president, I'll tell you that much right now. Oh definitely. <laughs> they both made a bigger contribution to society than either of these candidates. Oh my god, dude! Yeah, if you could like, yeah. yeah, if I could just have to vote between Brian Johnson and Bon Scott, that man the world would be so much better. So. Yep. Okay, well, I'll let you. I'll let you uh, take it away, Joe. What stands out to you about the production on the uh, Bon Scott albums? All right. Um, I actually, I don't think I could name a single producer of any of the Bond albums, but what I like about them is they're just really raw and really loud. They, 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 
the studio albums sound like they were recorded live in in a room you know there's there's a lot of artifacts and and atmospheric noise on those records at least to my ear and they're just big and mean i mean that to me is much more vicious than the production sound on the um mutt lang records because which which are great but those sound really homogenized to me and i i'm not a engineer but maybe compressed i don't know they they're they're real samey and in what i like about yeah but not even glossy just very every song sounds like it came from the exact same recording session and coming from like when i was a teenager my first like big music was punk rock and hardcore and the Bon Air ACDC albums are almost like punk rock in their production value. Um, so that's always why I liked the Bon era ACDC so much more than the Brian era. And, and Bon Scott came off like a dangerous person. Like he really seems like someone who was a bit unhinged and um, you probably wouldn't want to get in a bar fight with, you know? And that's what I always liked about him is just he was like the ultimate front man for a rock and roll band because he's just like a loose cannon completely. Well, man, since I was born in 80, I kind of lean toward the Brian Johnson stuff a little bit more just because it's like my first introduction to the band, really. But I mean, um, dude, the production from Back in Black on has been pretty pretty damn flawless, um, I would say. Probably... You could take any of the Bonds or Brian Johnson albums, uh, studio albums, and rank them among the best produced albums ever. I mean, it's not just Back in Black. I mean, like, uh, For Those About to Rock was the follow-up album to Back in Black. And then um, one of my personal favorites is uh, Flick of the Switch. Sounds fucking huge. And then, you know, during the 80s, they had a little bit of a lull in, like, I would say quality uh, albums. But uh, once they hit 90 with uh, Razor's Edge, man, like, they've... They've, in my opinion, they've been all pretty damn stellar releases since Razor's Edge. It's been Razor's Edge, uh, Ballbreaker, Stiff Upper Lip, Black Ice. Uh, Black Ice was uh, okay. It wasn't. I wouldn't say it's stellar, but and then um, obviously uh, Rocker Bust, which I really liked, and then the new one is probably among the best in the Brian Johnson discography. So I mean, if you want like crystal clear uh, black album. I guess it'd be a good album to compare it to quality rock albums. Then the Brian Johnson stuff is, you know, up there among the best, I would say. It is really good. Get back to what you said about the producers. Mutt Lang was actually the producer on uh, Highway to Hell. Oh, was he? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He produced uh, those two, Highway to Hell and Back in Black. So he like, he was there when they were ascending and he was there when they made it to the top. I mean, so. I don't know if the producer really has a lot to do with the the success, but he was definitely a big part of the sound, you know. No doubt. Yeah. And also, how the hell, man? I will say, I think the song is pretty overplayed. I, I usually turn it off when it comes on now. But, um, man, the track list on the rest of the album, dude, is, is pretty fucking hard to beat. I mean, it goes from Girls Got Rhythm... Uh, Touch Too Much and uh, Walk All Over You is two, three, and four. And those are like classics. Mm-hmm. And then you also have uh, If You Want Blood and uh, uh, what's the last one? Night, uh, Night Prayer. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, it's a good album, man. I didn't know that Mutt Lang didn't produce for those about to rock and flick of the switch. I thought he was carried on for those, at least those first three with Brian. No, I think he left when Phil Rudd did. And I don't think Phil Rudd played on those albums. I think Dio's drummer, Simon Wright hmm. played on those. I know he did for flick of the switch for sure. Because gotcha. he's in the videos. Yeah. Yeah, I went from Simon Wright to uh, Chris Slade, and then back to Phil Rudd, and then back to Chris Slade, back to Phil Rudd. <laughs> Chris Slade always got like the short end of the stick. Because every time he's like, yeah, I think I'm in this band now, Phil Rudd straightens up. You're like, yeah, come on back, Phil. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay, let's see. So the only album's... Simon Wright's credited on is Fly on the Wall, Who Made Who, and Blow Up Your Video. But I know he played in the music videos for Flick of the Switch because, I mean, obviously he's in it. Yeah, I, I missed... I have a hard time keeping track of his coming and going over the albums. Yeah. I mean, the, only, the one constant between um, all most of the albums is Brian Johnson, Angus Malcolm, and... Uh, <clears throat> Damn, why is my um, why is the bass player's name eluding me here? I mean, it's like right there at the tip of my tongue, but it's just not coming out. Like, it's so it's such common knowledge. Oh uh, like, yeah, you know, same with Williams. me, Cliff Williams. <laughs> Cliff, Cliff Williams. Williams. Yeah, I wonder if we kind of know that, you know. And also, I think uh, George Young, which was uh, Malcolm and Angus's older brother, produced the first several albums for them. Yeah, didn't he kind of form the band? Like he was their older brother who'd been in bands and encourage them to uh, get it together and put sort of some kind of band together. At least that's the lore. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Hmm. So we'll we'll get into some more um, ACDC deeper discussion at the end here. So we'll just move on to the topic, through the topic. I got a lot of stuff to say, too, about both areas. (laughs) All right, Michael, what's next? So, Jason, what do you like about the lyrical content on the Brian Johnson albums? Well, aside from everyone's favorite pastime, uh, sex, you know, that's pretty much most of what Brian Johnson sings about. But I do know that uh, Angus and Malcolm wrote a lot of the lyrics post-Bon Scott era. So I don't really know how much Brian Johnson does write the lyrics for. Um, but he also talks about like, you know, I mean, he gets a little bit violent too. Obviously like Bon Scott was like super violent, hyper violent on some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, Brian Johnson, man, he just knows he looked into a good thing and he just like sings about stuff. He likes cars, when uh, American women, he, I've heard him <laughs> say over and over, it was like the biggest thing when he came over with the band on back in black, how much, how much different American women were like looser, I guess. Or freer. And then, uh, you know, he also talks about, like, uh, you know, like teaming up with the boys and going to kick some ass, you know, when, when need be. Stuff like that. So, even on the new album, it's still a lot of that. You know, the titles kind of say it all. There's one called uh, Money Shot. Obviously, you probably know what that's about. You know, uh, Shot in the Dark. Um, so, yeah, there's some, you know, it's it's that good old rock and roll boys club kind of stuff. That he sings about mostly. Joe, what do you like about the lyrical content on the Bon Scott albums? Um, 
Well, it was the first very hard rock or metal that I ever heard. So like when I was, I guess I was 10 when I first heard ACDC and it just seemed like so rated R, you know? So all of his lyrics just seemed like everything was extreme about him. Um, Hell ain't no bad place to be. Um, Highway to hell. It was just like, this is the like bad, bad music. So my my young version of me impression was just like they were the most badass evil band in the world you know but um like jason was saying it, it essentially it's all just rock and roll really i guess his more his deeper lyrics are like it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll or um uh, i don't know i mean none of them really get that deep they're just rock lyrics for the most part but his delivery really is what gave him that power is he just like he was, seemed like such a mean nasty dude you know mm-hmm. doggy dog i think like for some reason these days problem child always bubbles up in my head is like one of my favorite bond acdc songs it's just like that's authentic like i really feel like he's singing from his own personal experience not something somebody wrote for him you know Bond got into that womanizing stuff too. I mean, like a whole lot of Rosie. It's been confirmed that that song was all factual and happened. Like through like oh, yeah. and stuff. Like yeah, you know, he was like walking down the street one day, like this 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 lady just like says something to him and like he was like intrigued and like we took it all the way, you know, and then I wrote this amazing song yeah. about it and shit. And like it's awesome because you know it like really happened. Like there was this there was this woman named Rosie and she did all these things to him you know he was like all about it you know so he was i would say like his lyrics are like way more descriptive and like uh almost like if he like committed a crime he like left the clues in the lyrics mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i i honestly believe that like, if there's like a cold case in australia like from the <laughs> 70s like if you want to like find the killer like look at bond scott lyrics and then like you might actually find out that he did it you know because like he i mean he's just like talking about like murdering people for hire um, yeah. you know like sneaking to people's rooms at night like a night prowler and shit and it's very descriptive it's almost like scary how descriptive he gets on like committing these like heinous acts to people it's like <laughs> it's pretty out there man <laughs> i heard a dude, a dude recently i guess i was reading it actually it was like a millennial aged person um and they were calling ACDC as having rapey lyrics. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that because it's some pretty, pretty nasty stuff. Um, but it's always kind of in character. I don't, I don't actually think Bon Scott was a rapist and actually killed people, but no, like, no, no, he, no. he joked about it in a, like a badass biker way, you know, that just sounded cool to sing about. Well, I mean, you can go through his like, the song titles and shit. I mean, a lot of it's like, it's about like killing people, you know, so. walk all over you. And, yep. uh, um, but he had those sexy songs too. I'm looking at Spotify now beating around the bush and, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's the other one? Girls got rhythm backseat yep. rhythm. I mean, it's like touch too much. That's it. That's yeah. a kind of right. <laughs> yeah. Great song though, man. I love that song, man. It's so mm. good. Shot down in flames. That was another one where he talks about you know just harassing a girl and telling her to fuck off. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not politic. The least politically correct band ever. 
Yes, yes. I almost <laughs> wonder how they would fare nowadays if they if they were coming up. Like if they would just be dismissed as like chauvinist or or what, you know. Oh, definitely. Sure. Bands hit the right time. I mean, like you know, like the, the Stones have a song. You know, the song "Brown Sugar." And mm-hmm. it's not widely known that that song's about like going to like a slave auction and like getting girls off the boat. That's what the yep. song's about. It's, it's it fucking, is. it's fucking weird that like nobody like says anything about that nowadays. Even though like the big thing nowadays is, you know, like don't be like you know sexist. But mm-hmm. I mean, sexism is fun in rock and roll, dude. It's like a, it's like a venture, like kind of like you hear about these dudes like you know putting it out there on the line and you know either works out or it doesn't but it's a fun song you know i know it sounds weird to say but like those are the ones you remember for some reason you know nobody nobody really remembers a song about being nice to somebody it's always the ones where you're an asshole (laughs) you know at least from the 70s and and up to the 80s yeah yeah the stuff nowadays that tries to be all edgy just comes off as trying too hard i think but um yeah, but back in the seventies and eighties, dude, it was like legit. I mean, these are like experiences they were talking about, and it's just accepted. Yeah. So. Yep. All right. Next topic of discussion is vocal styles. Uh, talk a little bit about what you like about Bon Scott's uh, vocal style, Joe. Uh, I guess the tone. Like, I mean, if you think about a guitar tone, like distortion, his voice was not necessarily uh clean ever like he'd start out and a song would turn into a growl and kind of like dio like it seemed like his voice would heat up and it would get more and more gnarly um i just think it's really interesting compared to say brian johnson's who's to me as great as it is it's consistent It's, it's like he has one tone one one mode that he sings in where bond is just like kind of off the chain all the time, you know? (laughs) Kind of a lot like their, their amps, you know, it's just loud and raunchy and it's, it's not clean. Honestly, I think I'm thinking about it now. I think back in black was the first ACDC I ever heard. And so that was the ACDC I got to know. And then I remember when I would start hearing the Bon Scott era albums, I didn't like him at first because his voice wasn't as thick and it was a little a grating at times. Like, I mean, his voice is grating. I mean, you're either a fan, love it or hate it, you know? Um, but I do remember thinking that it was just kind of all over the place and pretty um, garage, you know? But I love it now. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of had the same experience, you know. Like uh, I think probably Black and Black was the first one I ever heard too, and uh, then hearing Bon Scott for the first time, I was like, "Oh, this is ACDC, what?" But then you know, over time, you know, really, because you're right, he doesn't have like this beautiful Nightingale singing voice. It's just it just works and it's awesome because it, mm-hmm. it just is, you know, it, uh, it's just the, the pure attitude of it makes it as awesome as it is. I would, I think it's safe to yeah, say definitely. it's an acquired taste because like, even if you'd never heard ACDC before in your life and you heard those Bon Scott albums now, 
after all the bands and all the albums that have been re- released since then, you'd still be taken aback a little bit. Like, yeah, it's kind of nails on a chalkboard aspect to his singing. <laughs> it's like a <laughs> tortured cat, you know. But it works. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's so pure, you know. It is. It's just pure rock and roll. Yep. All right, Jason. Uh, what what about uh, Brian Johnson's vocal style really captures your attention? I don't know if any, anything else could be said about the vocals on Back in Black, but I mean, you just start from there and just go on. Like, I actually, I just think he's actually gotten a lot. Um, I wouldn't say worse, but like his voice has definitely suffered over the last 20 years. Like the gruffness is just kind of standing down to where it's not really like rough anymore. It's more like just kind of like a, kind of like a slightly off pitch bluesy voice, you know, but, um, man, he still, he still gives it his all dude. Like you can tell, even like the new songs, he's really trying, even though I joke, like some of the lyrics, I, I, I don't understand what he's saying because (laughs) his voice, his voice is just so, so shot. You know, but his uh, his ability for um, for <laughs> melody is pretty uh, underrated. I think, like his his melodies on uh, vocals and like those big huge choruses and stuff is just, like, I think it really took ACDC up a, a notch as far as like the songwriting goes after the Bon Scott stuff because he was more of a traditional singer. As a matter of fact, uh, Bon Scott recommended that ACDC get him as a singer if something ever happened mm-hmm. to him because he was such a big fan of his. When he saw him in a bar, one night. yeah, yeah. So it's like the fact oh, that really? they just like took Bond's recommendation and just got this guy. You know, says, says a lot. I think it says a lot about about him as a person and a singer. You know, I have to say his his voice sounds really good on Power Up, the new album. Yeah, it does. Just some of the lyrics are kind of in, in el- intelligible. You know, it's like what the hell? I wonder what he just said there because I don't have the I don't have the physical album yet, <laughs> so I don't have the lyrics. In front of me, right. so I really don't know what he's saying, especially on like the Power Up <laughs> song. It's kind of funny, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like just, but you can. It's not just back and black. I mean, like I said, like the Flick of the Switch is probably like, one of my favorite ACDC albums, and I think his vocals on that are on par with anything he did in Back and Black, as far as like just yeah. all the way around. And uh, Thunder, or not Thunderstruck, Razor's Edge. Um, that that album seemed to be forgotten, man. But Thunderstruck is like no fucking joke, dude. And his his vocals on Thunderstruck are amazing too, you know. So yeah. <laughs> what album has um? Uh, Let's get it up on it. Is that for those about that to is on? No, Let's get it up is on. Uh, I just listened to that yesterday. So I want to say Ballbreaker. No, it wasn't that late. It was earlier than that. Let me look it up real quick. Let's Ballbreaker has a lot of uh, double entendre male genitalia songs on it, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many of them do. Oh, yeah. But I found out years later that it was about sailing. Like, he's he was a boat owner, mm-hmm. and he was into sailing, so he was talking about the mast. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's showing that. here that it's on. It's on for those about to rock. Okay. Or maybe it was a single. 
Maybe. I don't know. That's weird. I have a feeling maybe it was a single or something. Could be. I think for those about to rock, um, it's pretty overlooked because it followed Back in Black. So like a lot, I think mm-hmm. it just got like in the shadow of that huge album. You know, people forget about it. It's like everyone knows the song, yep. and it's an amazing closer. Like it, if you don't get fucking goosebumps when they fire cannons at the end of their shows, like you're you're probably dead inside. Like that's how that's how fucking effective that shit is. But um, no doubt. Yeah. But yeah, it is off of it is off of uh, those about the rock. Yeah, like I said, I was going through my back catalog the last couple of days, and they all kind of blur together. But yeah, that's the way the first three or four Brian albums are for me. Well, not Back in Black so much. I practically know that song listing by heart. Yeah. But the three albums after that, I never owned them as a kid, but I started listening to them once. Like streaming services became part of our life, and then nowadays it's hard. It's hard to learn song names because you'll put an album on and you just listen to it. You're not staring at the album cover like he did when we were kids. So I don't learn song names like I used to when I was younger. It's like in, in ACDC songs, like you don't really learn the song name. You just remember the um, the chorus hook, you know. Yeah. It's like I, could, I heard the yeah. song in my head. It's like, yeah, I know the song. I was like, let's get it up, down, down, you know. But I was like, what the fuck album was it on? I don't know. <laughs> So. Yep. <laughs> All righty, Micah. What's got next here? All right, we'll go on to the next topic, which is Jason. What is your favorite album of the Brian Johnson era? Uh, I'm as awesome as Back in Black is. I'm still going with Flick of the Switch. I love that album, man. I don't know what it is about it, but man, it just it's. It's like one of my favorite ones. I just I like every song on it. It's it sounds huge. The fucking choruses are like those big sing along choruses, you know. The riffs are like all the riffs are like good. The drums are pretty pounding on it. So now yeah, I'm going I'm going to flick at the switch. Although I do like Razor's Edge a lot too, and a new one I like a lot too. Cool. Uh, yeah, I need to check the new one out. I actually have been meaning to check that out, and I just haven't done it yet for whatever reason. I'm just way behind on my musical listenings this year. Um, I was impressed. I was I had pretty low expectations for that new one myself, but it's solid. Like the production's good, the vocal and guitar performances are great, and. I can't definitely can't say a bad thing about it, except it's just ACDC doesn't change, you know. Like, yeah, they're they're the, they're the least progressive band ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know what to expect, and I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just you, you know what it's going to be. It's going to be rock and roll. It's going to be sex, electricity, partying, and mm-hmm. you know it's just it's awesome. A little bit, a little bit gang fighting yeah. if need be. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some gang violence. Although, you know, if I've seen these guys coming at me, they're all like five foot tall. Like, this is the least threatening group of guys <laughs> ever coming at me. You know, it's like, I don't really know if I should be scared or, you know, just do like an Oompa Loompa <laughs> dance or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, which which album of the Bon Scott era is your favorite, Joe? Uh, I can pretty safely say Let There Be Rock. 
because of the title song, What There Be Rock, it's just such a cool um, concept. Hell, it's got Hell Ain't No Bad Place to Be, Whole Lot of Rosie. And um, I think I think there's, like a lot of their early albums had U.S. versions and Australian versions. Um, and I think only the U.S. version had Problem Child on it, which uh, is just a song I'm kind of obsessing about lately. Um, but, but that being said, like some of my favorite songs are on other albums. Like It's a Long Way to the Top. Um, is like a top five song. Yeah, that that back of that one dude is amazing. The way they use it, and and Highway to Hell is a close second. You know, I mean that whole album is solid. It's just um, yeah. Let there be rock. Hell ain't no bad place to be. And Problem Child are like in my top five songs. So like that album probably has more of my favorite songs on it than Highway to Hell, I guess. Yeah, on the uh, on Problem Child, man, the lyric always gets me is uh. When I flick my knife, it's going to change your life. That's <laughs> <laughs> so amazing, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this, that main yeah. riff is just so powerful. I mean, I'm not going to sing it, but it's hard not to sing ACDC songs when you talk about them because the riffs are just like verbal. It's like a language. Yeah, you can. I agree, man. Like, people like dog on simplicity, but I was like, dude. Every big, huge song is almost like the most simple riff you could think of. Like, that was a hit. I mean, there's something about just letting letting right. chords breathe naturally, you know, to make a riff that's understated by that band. You can kind of grunt along with the with the riff, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I don't, I don't think Malcolm got enough credit. I think musicians understand how important Malcolm was. Yeah. But to the average casual acdc fan they think angus is like it and malcolm was at least 50 percent of the muscle behind those songs you know yeah i agree i know you're not a big anthrax fan but there's a video with uh, scott ian talking about malcolm young and like i should probably talk about my wife this way the way he talks about malcolm but uh like (laughs) if you should look it up it's it's pretty fucking awesome actually the video is and like he yeah. really gets in like the music theory behind Malcolm and stuff, and like it explains a lot. Like it, it's like everything I wanted to say that I didn't know how to say it. Like he says about Malcolm Young, it's yeah. it's pretty touching actually. I, I will say, but it's worth a watch. I'll check it out. Yeah, my last stint at trying to be a, a musician, I actually bought a Gretsch, um, and I was my my vision was well, well maybe I'll just start like a a barroom like 70s rock band like sure. ACDC and Malcolm Sound was kind of what I was had in my mind but I am a terrible guitar player so that <laughs> well, yeah you and me both <laughs> well, that makes yeah that makes that makes three of us oh no yeah <laughs> not true was your uh, was your Gretsch like almost as big as your torso no I didn't it wasn't okay. Malcolm's Gretsch I can't remember oh. His was like a something jet, boom. But uh, I got a more of a late model, like silver jet or something like that, like a five hundred dollar price gotcha. range. That's Chris wrote about the, the Malcolm stuff on the videos. Like his guitar is like so big, he's almost like high. Yeah. Behind. All you see is like his arms and his legs and his head. Like that's that's it, you know. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like the guitar was his body. <laughs> 
I've always been a Gretsch fan, but I've never owned one. Like, you know, because of Malcolm and because of Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, I've, I've just mm-hmm. never owned one. Mm-hmm. I just always thought they were cool. They've, they've got some pretty wacky body styles that are that I think are really cool. Just uh, I feel like it's got yeah. kind of a Les Paul um, quality to it, like a real um, thick um timber maybe i don't know i, mean, I don't yeah. know much about guitar yeah. tones but i would if i had to guess i think it's in the neighborhood of like a, a les paul in terms of the heavy wood body you know yeah just a big big heavy body big chunk of wood but you know mm-hmm. sounds amazing my favorite malcolm quote was uh Anything below the seventh fret is the dusty part of the guitar. Oh, so that was the fucking best. <laughs> the dusty part. I never realized how much he did with open chords. Like, I like let's say like when I was a teenager, if I had to imagine what he was playing, I would think they were like bar chords, you know. But he just had like somewhat muted open chords, like D A G constantly, like G A D D A G, just. So many of his his uh, rhythm parts are based on just those open chords that are that are muted, palm muted quite a bit. Yeah, that's just his. That's the sandbox he played in, mm-hmm. man. That's what he was comfortable in. And I mean, there's so many riffs in those chords. I mean, as you can see from just all their albums through the years. I mean, like, there's no really, there's no two riffs that sound the same. Although some of the naysayers will say they all sound the same, but it's like, ah, you're full of shit lazy they're not listening hard enough yeah exactly exactly like that that song um rock and roll train from mm-hmm. black ice yeah I, when that came out i remember thinking oh that's cool i'm gonna learn how to play that and i i looked it up and it was just like g-a-d <laughs> it's just the way he plays it sounds cool it's really just the same chords that he always plays you know yeah open open g open a open d all right uh moving on we'll kind of switch gears a little bit uh and joe can you tell me what's your favorite song by each singer uh today i'd say problem child by bond or it's a long way to the top um pretty safely i can choose those and the first one that comes to mind by brian is probably shoot to thrill um, or have a drink on me just cause <laughs> like, that's like his devil persona, you know, he sounds like a, a crazy, um, gargoyle on those songs. And, and plus shoot. Yeah, crazy gargoyle description. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's pretty good. Like if, if you'd never seen him, like imagine how you'd imagine Brian Johnson looking, if you never saw a picture of him, you'd think, man, he's like, Sure. Um, like a monster from uh, a creature from Lord of the Rings or something. This fictional character. <laughs> this is that. This is not not that voice is not of the <laughs> this earth. All right, Jason. What's your uh, favorite song by each singer? Man, I'm gonna go probably "Walk All Over You" for Bond. And I'm going to say Thunderstruck for Brian. You can't go go wrong with any of the choices you guys have laid out there. I mean, it's all top tier. 
All right. I'm looking at the track listing on Back in Black now. That's prob- even though I'm supposed to be arguing the Bond side, Back in Black's probably the the most perfect ACDC album. It's just like yeah, every, would, every note, every so. note, every drum hit, everything about it is perfection. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of overplayed songs. Obviously, I um, should know that long. It's like, I, I hear those, I hear those chords ring out and just like <laughs> next or change it. I don't, I can't stand that song anymore. It's so overplayed. I can't, I, I'm not saying it's a bad song, I mean, just it's overplayed, like how the hell is. But uh, yeah, man, I, top to bottom, dude, that, that album's hard to beat. If you look at like probably the sleeper songs on that record, like Given the Dog a Bone, or shake a leg. Mm-hmm. Those would be the best songs yeah. on another band's album. Absolutely. Like if if sure. you were gonna try to be like a garage rock, stoner rock band, and you wrote one song like that, that'd be your lead single. You know that that would be what you'd be known for. Uh, we'll go on to the next topic now. Uh, I I really think this is an awesome question, and uh, could probably debate on it for hours and hours, but. Uh, <laughs> Jason, what song do you think would have sounded? What Brian Johnson song do you think would have sounded awesome with Bon Scott singing? Oh, probably uh, giving the dog a bone. I think Bon Scott singing that like kind of snarky way, talking about giving the dog a bone, like you know, <laughs> laying a chicken bed. I think that would have been so fucking cool. Yeah, he could definitely pull yeah, that off. That. Sure. Yeah, I think it would have been just so. I think it was just so unique sounding, but so funny at the same time. Because like this is like a man's man, you know. He's like just talking about what every guy wants to do to like some chick that you see at a bar or whatever, you know. It's like you kind of like live vicariously through Bond even <laughs> today, still, you know. What Bond Scott song do you think would have sounded good with Brian Johnson singing? And I know, I know that's kind of a loaded question because we've heard some of them. Oh, wow. That, I was prepared for the other way around. I was going to say that Bond would have done a good job with for those about to rock. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so, absolutely. Okay, me, yeah, I think so, too. Let me back up. Let me think about it in reverse here. Um, so Brian, This one's kind of tough because like, there's so many live Brian Johnson singing Bond Scott songs. It's kind of like hard to like separate that now, you know? Yeah. You know, I think the first... I would just go from like, a writing, writing standpoint. Like, what song would he have wrote? That would have sounded really cool. Well, I think because we know what hi, uh, Hell's Bell mm-hmm. sounds like, right? I think Highway to yeah. Hell, I can hear Brian Johnson singing that song. Um, and probably he would have done a good job with all of them. I mean, Brian's awesome, but um, especially mm-hmm. like any song <laughs> with Hell in the title <laughs> is easy to imagine. Or um, Girls Got Rhythm, maybe, or Shot Down in Flames. Yeah, I can, I can absolutely hear. Brian singing all those songs and pulling it off well. Yeah. I think Riff Rap would have been a good one. Yep. And I guess we're speculating, but I'm sure that Brian has sung those songs on some live um, shows that we could look up. Um, yeah, he, he, he has a lot of Bon Scott songs in the live yeah. albums. I mean, I know How to Hell, I know The Jack, um, Whole Lot of Rosie. Uh, I'm going to say Problem Child, probably. 
Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff he Bon Scott songs that he sings. I don't know if this is a question, but you could say what Bon or Brian song couldn't be done justice by the other one. Yeah, yeah, that's and good. I, okay, I'd have to one. say if you if you want blood is a Bon Scott song. Like no one should touch that. That's like him all over, you know. Yeah, I can agree with that for sure. Yeah. I would say okay on the other, on the other side I would say probably <sighs> I would say Back in Black is probably untouchable by Bon Scott the song Back in Black it's pretty it's pretty amazing vocal performance yeah yeah it's it's hard yeah, to even imagine it really is. I mean it's very it's very gruff like and sounding, it's, I mean it, the way it, it needs to be Bon Scott could hit yeah. the high notes but it I mean there's some really high notes in that song I just yeah I I struggled to hear him singing that myself mm-hmm. yeah all right next topic joe what song would you use to introduce somebody to acdc um probably like my introduction something from back in black but even, but if I have to pick a Bond song, which I will, I'll say um, it's a long way to the top because it builds and that bagpipes is so crazy <laughs> that like, if you don't think that's a cool song, you're probably not going to like any other ACDC. Like that's, yeah, yeah. that's a make or break song. Sure. Like it, that's a charmer, you know? I love the story in that song, man. It's just, it's great storytelling. It's true. It's the it truth, is. you know. It's a cold, hard truth. Even today, touring bands. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Dude, I can relate to everything about that song. You know, it's like it has stuff like all eras of a, a career, like from starting out to making it to the top. Mm-hmm. You know, which when he wrote that song, they weren't even nowhere near the top yet. So that was kind of cool too. Yeah. All right, Jason. What Brian Johnson song did you use to? Introduce somebody to ACDC. Uh, it'd probably be. I'm gonna have to go with the same answer. It'd probably go back in black. The song. It's just so fucking good and simple, man. It's like you can't say there's nobody can say a bad thing about back in black and mean it with a with a straight face. Like that song is almost untouchable. And perfect in every way, like just the the simplicity, like the notes, the vocals, the bass, the drums. Like this is this is fucking it, man. That's like the quintessential rock and roll song that's ever been written. Yep. Because it's so simple, you know. But if you try to play it, that shit's fucking hard to play, man. Because it has to be exact. So that's where like chemistry is really underrated too, and in, in bands, it's like that band had chemistry, man. Like. Those guys were just in a fucking pocket, and nobody else could really be in that pocket, you know, with them. Especially that time when they wrote that song. I totally agree. That that I was last year in the in the record store. We had a, a TV set up with a VHS player, and I was watching. Um, I think it was at Donington, ACDC Live at Donington, and um, there's one song yeah. where they totally it breaks down, and it's just bass and drums for like two or three minutes. And I was like, man, 
those guys, it seems rudimentary what they're playing, but it's so tight. It's airtight. It's just like a metronome. Perfect. Like um, Phil and Cliff were probably the least famous people in the, in that band. We can even remember Cliff's name, but they're just um, <laughs> phenomenal. You know I mean? They were very important to the whole chemistry of that band. I think Yeah, that, that's one of those songs that, you know, it's it's easy to play, but it's hard to play it like they played it because, I mean, it, it just, you know, like what I'm trying to say is I know that lead lick, the I know how to play that, but I have never been able to pull it off exactly like Angus Young plays it, you know, with that timing. You, you know, it's an easy lick, but it's hard to play exactly like he plays it. And if you watch people try to play it, on YouTube and whatever, you know, you can, you can tell that, you know, it's, it's, it's so simple, but it's not easy to pull off. You know, I think it's harder than that little lead lick is the shuffle after it. The dun 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 That, dude, trying to play that shit on drums is like a fucking nightmare, man. Mm-hmm. It sounds easy, but it's, dude, it's hard. Yeah. It's very hard. Yeah. It's just everybody had such impeccable timing in that band, you know. It just, it's, it, yeah, it, like we've been saying, it's simple, but it's not easy. They had that mojo, rock and roll mojo. Either that, or they just practiced to death, you know. Just <laughs> <laughs> like we're we're gonna play these two songs a hundred times today. <laughs> Until it was just in their in their right, nervous in their system. DNA. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to the next topic now, which is Joe. Why do you think the uh, every album sounds the same? Criticism of ACDC is bullshit. Um, because people don't really listen very hard um and i don't know i I don't know if it's if you have to have some sort of a background in trying to play music learn an instrument to really understand it and maybe it's that's like a a a non-music person's opinion because i can see where they would think that but you could say that about most bands that have had a, a, a long career. I mean, Slayer and Anthrax in the metal realm sound like themselves, you know, but each song is different. Um, I don't know. what I wouldn't know what I'd tell somebody. It's like they're just not listening hard enough, I guess. And they're, just, they're not li- actually listening to the songs. They're just listening to the overall impression of the song because it it's the same players. Yeah. And they're they're a hard blues band. I mean, the blues doesn't hard blues doesn't have too much legroom. Like ZZ Top yeah, is a good yeah. comparison. You could say every ZZ Top album sounds the same, especially from like in the seventies. But it's, that's definitely not true. All those songs are completely unique unto themselves. Right. It's it's like uh, it's there's a formula to it, but each song has its own character, I guess. Yeah, and and I guess what I would say is what what that criticism is true, 
but it doesn't matter because it's like it's so good it's such a good formula that that um who really wants it to change yeah, exactly you know? i mean that's you're right like all the blues players you know that, that we could possibly name have used that formula and all of them are you know completely different and have their own voice so you know within that same uh, argument there you know acdc uses acdc's formula but each song completely has its own character they're they're operating in the same in, the, in their zone that they exist in and what's funny is the people who would say something like that are the same ones that probably complain about a band not being true to itself like like oh led zeppelin started to suck after after four you know or mastodon sold out because they got experimental and got progressive you know so it's like you can't have it both ways you can't criticize a band for sounding like itself and you and also criticize bands that try to experiment yeah and that that's that happens a lot unfortunately yeah iron main is another one like the first like whatever i mean basically all their albums sound like Iron Maiden and to someone who's not a fan might say it all sounds the same, but that's definitely not true. (laughs) True. Very true. And then, well, and they get criticized for, uh, kind of going in a little bit more progressive direction too. So, I mean, you know, it's like you kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't sometimes. All right, Jason. Uh, yep. What's your opinions on, the ACDC criticism. Yeah, I have a, I actually have quite a bit to say about this. Coming from like I guess someone who plays music perspective, so like I think these people who like say every ACDC album sounds the same are the same people who just put Ozzy Osbourne solo and Black Sabbath in one category and just argue with you to death. That's the same thing. It's like these people just have no fucking. They have no fucking ear, dude. <laughs> like you can't tell me like a song like. You can't tell me a song like fucking Jailbreak <laughs> sounds anything like fucking Thunderstruck. Or that a song like, you know, even off the new one, like Through the Mist of Time, sounds like um, Ride On, you know, by Bon Scott. Like, dude, they just don't. There's so many fucking flavors that ACDC has. It's just that the common denominator is the fucking band members, you know? Like, I would, I would say, like, Thunderstruck is, like, borderline a borderline progressive song. Like something that like Dream Theater could like do. Like it, mm-hmm. it takes three minutes for the fucking song to even get to the fucking first verse. You know what I mean? It's like such a long intro and shit. So like just saying they're like a one trick pony. Yeah. Because and they also have songs that are like you know in the six minute range too. I mean, there's few and far between, but they're there. I mean, most of their bread and butter is mm-hmm. you know three four minutes. It's not really the radio formula. Just. It just happens to fit in that formula. That's why radio plays the same fucking five songs all the goddamn time. But, I mean, these people just don't fucking listen. I mean, there's so many fucking elements that are in ACDC through all eras that you can't even really pinpoint they sound the same. Like, if you took the song, like, Who Made Who versus the song The Jack... It's like, what the fuck? There's no fucking similarity in that shit whatsoever. It's the same band. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Whether it's production, whether it's songwriting, whether it's the bass featured more than the guitar, whether it's Angus is fucking like like doodling 
riffs and stuff, which he does so fucking good. I mean, like, it's just, it's just fucking lazy, dude. It's just those people want to be edgy and they're just not. So, yeah, that's all I got to say about it. That's true. I totally agree. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's just, I hate, you win that yeah. question. What? I hate that argument. Like every time I see a fucking HCDC <laughs> post, it's just like I want to be the what? first one that says, "Sounds the same as everything else." Just kidding, you know. But someone always beats me to it, assholes. <laughs> that, I mean that that goes back to like what Joe was saying. It's just yeah. you're you're just not listening hard enough. Yeah, just. Plain and simple, you know. If you're making that argument, you haven't listened to the band enough with the right ear. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I mean, it's just I don't know. I just don't know. These people just live in a bubble, and whatever's said to them in that bubble is all they get. I mean, just, just explore. Just go out and get on Spotify or hell YouTube or you know, go to a fucking truck stop and pick up some tapes. I mean, they're all it's fucking out there. You know, just just listen to an album, <laughs> and you'll find so many different stuff in there. you could almost say that about any band like even rush like the first 10 rush albums you could say oh it all sounds the same like yeah it sounds like getty lee singing and it sounds like alex lifeson playing guitar but there isn't a single song that sounds like another song but i mean to to someone who's not a fan and is not going to listen very hard it's like you mean you can recognize what band it is, therefore every song sounds the same? That's a weak argument. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good actual summary of that question. Yeah, that, that's the, that's the people that I have an issue with is the one that just sees the name and claims it all sounds the same because it's that name, you know. Yeah, the Ramones though, every Ramones song pretty much sounds the same. <laughs> that's the one exception. <laughs> All right, guys. Yeah, I guess I could probably agree with that one. Yeah, yeah, I I could agree with that. <laughs> All right, guys. So, final question. And I forget who went first last time. So, I'll just kick this one over to Joe. Do you think that ACDC is the biggest band in the world right now? Right now? Or at their peak. Yeah, I think they they were points where they were the biggest rock band in in the world. Probably, I guess eighty to eighty four. Like they were probably their box office receipts from their shows were up there with like Queen and Zeppelin. Um, and now they're legends, you know, I mean, despite Malcolm's death, they're still, they just put out another album. That's, that's pretty, pretty epic. You know, they've kept it together. So they're definitely in, in the history of rock. They're one of the biggest bands ever without a doubt. Definitely. What's your thought on it, Jason? And they're, they're probably one of the last bands that could like, sell out an arena in America, you know, like along with Metallica and the Eagles. You know? Right. I mean, you've got to be a legend at this point to sell enough 40,000 tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Even still, they could pull that off for sure. Mm-hmm. I'd go. I, that's literally a show I would, I would pay a lot of money to go see if they were 
weren't too far away. I would too, because, and I hate to even confess this, I've never seen ACDC live. So if they were to play live again, hell yeah, I would go. Yep. I don't think I would have gone when Axl Rose was singing with him, just because that was too far off the mark. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, the Malcolm being missing is pretty far off the mark, but, um, their nephew standing in like yeah. a family member actually playing Malcolm's guitar is close yeah. enough. And he, Brian uh, is legit. So he actually filled in during the eighties when Malcolm, uh, stepped away from the band too. So he, really? yeah, he had been there before as Malcolm's uh pinch hitter. Yeah. I think it's cool. their older brother's son actually. Because, man, he looks like he could have been Angus's or Malcolm's child. Dude. <laughs> that gene pool is yeah. that gene pool's pretty uh, pretty close together <laughs> in the family. They're all kind of looking very similar. They're all under 130 pounds. Yeah, all, all under 5'5". Five, five <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'll go, I'll go with that one, Micah. I will say that right now, I think... I think between the biggest three bands, like Metallica, Iron Maiden, and ACDC, I think ACDC is probably the biggest of the three. Like, I think they're the only band that can really fill in like 100,000-plus stadiums every fucking stop of the tour, no problem, with no with no support of any consequence. Like, even Metallica, like, when they play, like, the, the stadium shows... They had to have like Avenged Sevenfold and like Volby, which were like two pretty big radio bands, to help sell tickets. But Iron Maiden picks some weird bands sometimes to open. But ACDC, like they never have support that you've ever heard of, and they fucking do that shit. Like oh, it's just over in Europe, like no, with ease, you know. So I think if you're just going off like as a crowd, I think ACDC is the biggest right now. I think I would put them up against anybody playing the doing concerts. From pop or rap, I think yeah, that's probably true. Because uh, now that you put it that way, Metallica and Iron Maiden appeal to metal fans. Sure, but ACDC are kind of uh, they're a hard rock band, but they're also pop. I mean, not they, their sound isn't pop, but country fans will go buy an ACDC yeah. ticket, and young kids who are just sort of into music would go to see ACDC. So they've got broad, broad appeal, you know, at this point. Yeah. I mean, plus uh, I've seen that Brian Johnson had, they had an interview one time, like how lame is it that um, Walmart sells ACDC shirts? He's like, he's like, that you talking about lame. He's like, that's awesome. He's like, they're the only retailer that came to us. Like, Hey, we want to like sell you shirts in our stores, like authentically licensed ACDC stuff. He's like, nobody had mm-hmm. ever done that before. It's like, we're like, yeah, go for it. You know? And that's why they got like these like exclusive contracts to sell like ACDC albums for, like the first three months or whatever in Walmart because Walmart was like, hey, we want to sell your like authentically licensed stuff in our store, and they're like, dude, that's like that means our stuff is like out there for the masses, you know? And like, they got criticized about it, but I was like, yeah, I totally understand where he's coming from, you know? I think I brought this up in the last podcast I did, um, but. Like Pete Townsend said in an interview, like quite a while ago, like ten or fifteen years ago, he started licensing Who songs for commercials, like car mm-hmm. commercials we're using, and he got criticism for it. And, and in an interview I read, it's like, why did you do that? And he's like, well, our choice is to either just fade into history and be forgotten, or get it out there in the in the ether. You know, like maybe some kid will hear that 
on song on our car commercial and be like, what band is that? And, and check us out. You know, it's like, it comes a point where your, your light is starting to fade and just putting yourself into the culture any way possible is the thing to do, you know, if you want to be remembered. So I think, yeah, like if, who wouldn't want their shirts in Walmart? It's not like, <laughs> oh, well, we're too good for Walmart shoppers. <laughs> like, no, like most people shop at Walmart and if they're going to buy your product, you know, they're going to wear it around and other people are going to see them wearing it. And it's just all good. You know, people are a little too precious about their, their art. Yeah. I think. Plus, you know, you don't pay like $40 for a fucking authentic shirt from a tour either. You can get it for like 10, 15 bucks, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it is licensed. You know, it's like the real, it's like approved by the band. It's not like a bunch of bootleg shit, you know, mm-hmm. with like the, like a little bit fucked up, uh, lining up with the letters or the, the lightning bolts the wrong way or some dumb shit like you see a lot of times. Like <laughs> bootlegs, like it's the real deal, you know. It's like pretty quality screen print in mass production, you know. So yep. I have a couple ACDC Walmart shirts. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I printed my own in high school. Like we had a art oh, class where we're doing screen printing. Yeah. And the first two shirts I made were Motorhead and ACDC. And Sweet. the teacher was like, you're supposed to be doing art. I'm like, it's just art. <laughs> so there's, there's nothing about this warthog that ain't art, motherfucker. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> <laughs> so one more thing about getting back to the uh, Axl Rose stuff. Um, so I, I had I had tickets for that tour, and when uh, Brian Johnson canceled, I, I turned them back in because I didn't know they were going to continue. But I kind of wish I would have held on to the tickets now and seen Axl Rose uh, sing with them. Just because, man, the YouTube videos like I watched, I actually like didn't really hate that much. Like I didn't think his voice was like the best thing for ACDC, but man, I think the way he sung some of those songs were raw as fuck and hadn't been sung that way since Brian joined or when Bond was in the band. Like he kind of has a happy medium between both of them. I actually thought a lot of this just sound pretty cool, and they played a lot of like, they played a lot of uh, deep cuts off the Bond albums, which I thought was pretty goddamn awesome too. I wish I could have seen that. You know. Definitely, like for uh, for you know, like if for anything else, then that was like a once in a lifetime thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as rare as like when Rob Halford sang for like Black Sabbath when Ozzy could. I'm like, damn, why couldn't I been in that show? You know. Shy that, yeah. You don't get to get to see that often, but um, I think the reason that they got Axl Rose is because I'm not an expert on like a touring industry or nothing, but I, I almost guarantee you that it was just cheaper to go with Axl Rose and finish those shows. They probably pay a penalty to the insurance company for canceling shows when you know. I'm sure there's a clause in the contract about X amount of able bodies, you know, can still play. I bet you it was more financially feasible just to go on with Axel than it was to cancel and probably pay a huge penalty to the insurance company that covers those tours. You know? Yeah, true. I wonder I wonder if there was something going on like that. And and I, I never was too clear on like exactly why either they didn't want to tour with Brian Johnson or Brian Johnson couldn't do it. He had like really bad hearing damage, and his doctor told him like he, he if he does one more concert at that volume, 
Like he'll be deaf forever. Oh wow! So he had to like he had to bow out, and then like some guy was working on like some of these like um, some kind of ear, um, some kind of ear implants or something, and like Brian Johnson was like the first guy he called to be like do a test subject. And said it took him like three years to like get this right. But he said I was watching an interview on YouTube when he did for Power Up and he said like the first practice back, like Angus was like, Should we just play it like half volume? He's like, No, we need to rent out a studio and put our concert gear set up and play it full blast like we do in a show and see if I make it through. And he said he played, they played for three hours. And he's like, Yep, we're good. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, Wow. That's <laughs> cool. But like he said, like this guy was like a, like modern day miracle worker. Like he said, like this guy he came in like first it was like hooked up to a car battery, and then every time the battery would be a little bit smaller and smaller and smaller. So it was basically like an on stage like um, wireless pack he carries around now. So yeah, it's pretty pretty cool story. Uh, listening that to that is it. really cool. I I had no idea. Like I, I didn't know any of that. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and as far as like like uh, Angus and like criticism for like just like you know like leaving co- like fallen friends and family behind and shit, I should kind of get on my nerves because like you know it's like dude, you don't even know what what the discussions were behind the scenes, like why they did what they did. Like when Malcolm died, I'm sure Malcolm probably would been like just take Stevie on the road and just keep playing, and keep the name alive, you know. Like when Bryant left, like I don't really think like the intention was like I have Axl Rose as his replacement singer and just like keep on going like nothing ever happened. Like I don't, I don't really see Angus Young as like a uh, deserter. Like the dudes have been pretty fucking loyal, man. Like he just, mm-hmm. I don't know. He just he doesn't really talk much about what he's doing. So like people just like make up shit about his intentions. But I mean, you know, the actions are there. You know, he's been with in the band with his brother or family for 50 fucking years. Like they still act like Bon Scott is their singer on the website. His picture's still on there. Dude, they released a big box set dedicated to him. Like not too long ago, like probably back in the two thousands, I think it was called bonfire. Like it was everything Mm -hmm. about that box set was dedicated to Bon Scott. Like Brian Johnson still talks about like being Bon Scott's replacement singer. Like he's not Mm -hmm. like, just like I'm the singer. He's like, no Bon had these awesome songs. I get to sing them, you know? And, like that. So, I mean, like, Angus doesn't really, like, just throw people to the wayside. Like, he's really loyal, you know, and he just, he does what he thinks is best. So. I, I was watching a video, a documentary a little while ago, and there was just a slight little snippet of um, Angus playing acoustic guitar. Yeah. And it occurred to me, how cool would an acoustic album from Angus Young be? Like, I would pay a lot of money for that. Like, uh, you know, it would be good. I mean, think that guy's hands and how long he's been playing. Yeah. And how well he plays blues. Like, if he were to play an acoustic blues album, it would. I would imagine it would be fucking amazing. Yeah, sign me up. I'll be. I'll be. I'll be right there in line with you to buy that. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean that could happen. Like I said, ACDC is not going to be around forever. I mean, eventually someone's going to damn. Someone else is going to damn kick it. Out of the original lineup, and I would, I, I would bet money it'd probably be Phil Rudd because that dude's a pretty fucking loose cannon nowadays. He's <laughs> <laughs> it, fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah. That whole like murder for hire plot when he was like 
high on meth and shit, like threatening his like manager for his album fucking tanking and shit, man. It's like it's just crazy shit, you know. Looney. I think a lot of bands when once they get over the hill, you know, like once they're over fifty five, sixty, yeah, should not like start playing jazz, but I think it's totally acceptable and appropriate to like tone it down and start playing more like mellow music. Yeah. Um, I agree. That That's sort of, cause no one wants to hear the music they made when they were in their twenties being played by 70 year olds. Right. I just, I hate like Aerosmith and the who should not do that, you know, but I'd love to hear, um, Aerosmith do an acoustic album, you know, blues album. Like, it would be totally cool, but I don't know. They just, they're in it for the money, I guess. There's too many people who want to make money off of rock albums. So. Yeah, that um, that Hong Kong Bobo uh, covers album they did with their original producer mm-hmm. from back in the seventies. That was probably the closest yeah. thing to the last. The last good thing they did was definitely that project because everything else since then, it's not been much, yeah. but man, it's, it's been bad. It's been real bad. Yeah. Yeah, I'm mean, um, getting to that point where it's just like, guys, you know, I just can't believe you're that mad anymore. And it's like the songs just aren't played as ferociously, you know. It's like just yeah, it doesn't work, and they should they yeah. should just translate, keep writing songs and putting music out, but do it in a more what's the word dignified way. Like make the music that a seventy year old should be making, you know. Yeah, I, I yeah, make something that. So I think the stuff that when I saw them live for Hardwired, like the Hardwired songs, a lot worked pretty well for their age. But man, when they get to like Battery or you know like any of the kind of angrier songs, it's just like I just I just don't buy it nowadays. <laughs> I haven't bought Metallica in a long time. Man. <laughs> that might be a good idea for another show. It's just like Metallica, like after 1991, like. Um, do they completely suck from that point on, or do they have redeeming qualities here and there, or what? <laughs> that would be a good show. Yeah, we could do that. I have another. I have another idea for a show too. I want to do is uh, redoing load and reload by pitting track one on load against track one on reload, and they make a new track listing out of just those songs off reload. You know. Or load and reload. I would thought be kind of make one, one Yeah, album. make one album out of it. <laughs> yeah, just be like, is it fuel? Is it like, ain't my bitch, or is it fuel? You know, like, which <laughs> one's going to be the first track on, on, like, unloaded or whatever the fuck it's called? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever listened to load to or reload. You know, it gets slammed, rightfully so, compared to the first five albums, but it's not all bad. It's just a lot more mellow and experimental, you know. It's like the Bob Rock sound. It's got like a little bit of country influence. It's got some uh, some just like seventies rock influence in there. So the lyrics aren't as biting, you know. Um, but dude, some of my favorite yeah. songs on in their discography are in Load and Reload. Like I really like the song Bleeding Me. I think it's killer. Uh, the song Outlaw Torn is pretty awesome. Uh, the song yeah. Fixer on the end of Reload I think is like probably one of my favorites. They do, and there's some really cool shit in there, but there's some really boring shit in there too. Like, yeah, it's just like I, I have to go from uh, justice straight to hardware to self destruct. I have to ignore everything between those oh, two really? albums, frankly. Uh, yeah, you didn't even like uh, Death Magnetic. 
I, I thought it was okay, but there was just, I don't know, there was something missing. Like, I, I can't even really put my finger on it. That's um, fair enough. I mean, everyone's got their thing, you know. I, I feel like Cliff Burton added the Sabbath element. Like, it, he was like their ground, you know, and like sure. the albums after that, even though Justice was really cool, and even the 590 ADP, the covers album was really cool. Um, they just sort of, the tone, the whole meaning of Metallica for me changed after Black Album. So I like the songs, but I think they became a hard rock band after that. They did. Yeah, I can, I can see I, that. And, you know, an, another good argument is like, uh, you know, between Hardwired and, uh, and uh, shit, Death Magnetic, like, there's enough good songs on each of those to make a good album too, you know? Yeah. So that, that definitely when be a I, good debate. was first listening. Yeah. When I was first listening to hardwired, I, I kept saying to myself, just imagine that this came out right out two years after injustice for all, like this was the next metallic album. And what would I think? And I, I was like, yeah, I would be pretty impressed because it's a pretty good album, you know? And it, it was a good continuation of the heavy metal Metallica. Man, it just, I think it goes to show like some bands have like monumental albums like Back in Black and the Black Album. And, I mean, probably Pyromania going back to Def Leppard. Like, there's albums that are so fucking big that the albums that follow just get lost in the fucking shadow of this album. That they release, yeah, and it just takes a while to like get out of that shadow to where people actually like recognize you again for what they loved about you in the first place. You know, yeah. I mean, there's the, there's like a handful of those albums out there, but they're out there and like they're just fucking huge. I'm like, what is is that black album? Is it like number one selling album still? Like in like SoundScan era, I think it's like over 20 million. I think it sells like a million albums a year still. I, that shit's unheard of for like bands that release albums today. They don't even get a million. They don't even get a million in their whole uh, catalog, you know, let alone one album. So. I was looking at some stats. This is well off topic, but I was looking at some stats the other day at like vinyl sales. Yeah. And um, the this one distributor that I work with, the the number one rock and pop album that they sell is uh, Nirvana's Nevermind. Yeah. And they in 2019 they sold 257 thousand copies. Wow. Yeah, on vinyl. Wow, and that's in a streaming world. People are still buying, buying the records. records. That's crazy. That's pretty impressive, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so that's that's one distributor too. Yeah, yeah. Not like worldwide. And that's probably another album too that can be in that category. It's like the Nevermind album. Like, does do people really play Incesticide in, in utero when they think of Nirvana, or is it just Nevermind? Like, you know, Nevermind had all the big hits. You know, yeah. like the rest were just, they were there, they existed, but nothing's ever talked about in reverence. Like the Nevermind mm-hmm. album or 10 by Pearl Jam. And those people that are, are into Nirvana for Nevermind don't understand Bleach. Like Bleach is probably just like, what the fuck is that? It's just too, too primitive. I have, I have the Bleach CD. Yeah. That to that to me is like, they belong with the other grunge bands like Tad and Mudhoney with Bleach. But then 
and I bought Nevermind when it came out, when it was new, and I was just like, man, this sucks. Like, this is so polished. The songs are verse, chorus, verse, and the all the chorusing and, and effects. It's like, I mean, it's probably going to be huge, but I don't like it. It's just not the band that I liked. I mean, I came around to it eventually, but so I think the reverse is true. People who learned about Nirvana at Nevermind, and that's the band they like, if they listen to Bleach, it's probably like way too raw and way too hard. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of in like that camp, but in the opposite way because the the first Nirvana album that I heard was Nevermind, and I didn't like it, so therefore I didn't bother to listen to any of their older stuff. Maybe I actually need to go back and give Bleach a chance. Yeah, it's not the same band. Like it's it's not polished at all. It's similar to like early Soundgarden or um, Melvin's. Yeah, Dave Grohl, Dave Grohl didn't play in that on that album, did he? No, and I and I wouldn't say that Dave ruined them or anything. It's just they. I I, I heard that Kurt Cobain was listening to a lot of Pixies around that time, and he really liked their soft, hard, soft dynamic, like where they'd start out soft with no power chords or distortion and then they go into like a like monumental chorus you know so i think that's part of why the songs on nevermind were like um the way they were but also because they got a major record deal i think some producers glossed them up you know turned them into cheap trick yeah, I think the uh, I think one of the guys in the band Garbage was a producer on. Much big, yeah, yeah. He did Smashing Pumpkins too, I think, which I love the production on those two albums, um, Gish and uh, Siamese Dream. Yeah, Siamese Dream's a good album, man. I I don't really like the Pumpkins that much, but that, that is a good. Those album. those are the only two really. Even the one after that that everybody mm-hmm. likes so much. I, they lost me. I just liked I liked them when they were riff rock. Right. So the song I was trying to think about, never mind, I really liked was uh, the song "Breathe." Yeah. I think that song is so fucking heavy, man. It's so fucking punk, but metal at the same time. Mm. It's really short too. I mean, it's like two, yeah. like two and a half minutes. You know. But. Well, listen, man. I my wife wants me to come watch a movie with her, so I gotta. <laughs> I got a break. <laughs> <laughs> no, damn wives. Yeah, we should probably wrap it up. Well, guys, I appreciate the uh, coming on. It was fun to get some good HCDC yeah. discussion. I love conversations like this. So. Yeah, and thanks, Micah, for uh, doing the uh, oh, yeah. interviewee, interviewer part. Yeah, so. All right, guys. Well, Remember, if you're listening to this, uh, you can subscribe on Patreon, get some free stuff like our TW uh, releases before anybody else and uh, stuff like that. So early access, it's only a dollar a month or more. So uh, until next time, stay heavy. Thank you for listening to the Alehorn Podcast. For more of this podcast and other podcasts in the Alehorn Podcast Network, Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Subscriptions start at a dollar and each tier gets you greater perks such as exclusive Patreon-only podcasts, free song downloads, merch discounts, and more. Until next time, stay heavy.